Uh, if you have your Bibles, we are in Matthew. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series uh, about this backwards, upside down, crazy looking kingdom um, that Matthew is describing. Um, so, so far, we're still in Matthew's introduction as far as how he has this uh, this gospel structured. Um, Matthew, I think he was probably Matthew the tax collector, even though the, it's anonymous. I think it was the tax collector. He was a, a follower of Jesus, and he's he's been um, he's been telling us who Jesus is. He, as a matter of fact, he's kind of going on and on about it, right? <laughs> he seems like obsessed that we know who this Jesus is. Uh, he seems obsessed with this Jesus. Uh, and so he's going on and on about him, um, but we still haven't even heard Jesus teach anything yet, <laughs> right? Matthew's just been describing what he is like. Um, he has told us that he's from this ancient kingly line, um, but he doesn't seem to be very kingly, right? In the sense that like, he's born in Herod's backyard, and Herod, uh, one of the most powerful, wealthiest rulers who's ever lived, uh, is literally building mountains to put palaces on top of them. And this guy is born to a family in disgrace, in a nowhere town, you know. Um, but Matthew seems to insist that he's, he's kingly. He also insists uh, that he had this weird conception, right? Uh, he, the father of, uh, the, sorry, Mary, his mother, Jesus' uh, mother Mary, uh, her fiance at the time, an angel appears to the, the uh, fiance and says, hey man, it's cool, I know she's pregnant, go ahead and marry her because uh, the child inside of her, the Holy Spirit, put the child there. Uh, so this weird conception, um, and says that his name is going to be Jesus, which means he'll save his people from their save, he'll save their people, and, and he explains it. The angel explains it to Joseph and says, "Hey, he's going to save his people from their sins." But he also says that his name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. So this Jesus is somehow God with us, and also this man named Jesus who's going to save his people from their sins. So he's this, this, this God-man. And he also insists uh, that he has united himself to sinners in this crazy way. So John, we introduced this guy named John who's baptizing people out in this, the River Jordan. And uh, Jesus comes out to him to be baptized and identifies with those who were repenting and confessing. And even John was like, man, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to be baptized. <laughs> like, I, like, what do you have? Con- you, there's no confessing and repenting with you. And Jesus says it needs to be this way. And he identifies in this act with those others who are being uh, baptized, uh, this image of being buried in in new life. And so Jesus has has done that. Uh, He identifies with sinners. And then he goes out into the desert and he's tempted by the devil. Like for 40 days he's out there, like Israel was out there for 40 years, except instead of like Israel sinned. But Jesus trusts God to provide for him, even in the wilderness, even when he's hungry. And so he, he trusts where Israel failed. Matthew's been painting this picture and is inter, in, in, in introducing us to this Jesus of this person that is uh, in some way the culmination of all the things that the scriptures talked about. In some way, he's the culmination of what the nation was supposed to be, who the kings were supposed to be, the prophets, the prophecies, the poems, and the wisdom literature, and the priests, all of these things. Somehow he's painting this picture of how this Jesus is the culmination of all these things. These things were supposed to be something, but really all they could ever really do was point to this Jesus. Right? That's what he's doing. He's painting this picture for us of this man we haven't even heard 
teach yet. He's this true Israelite, <laughs> the feeling that you get from what Matthew's written so far. Um, and this is important. It's important that we know the real Jesus, that we continue over and over. Because, I mean, it would be right for you to go, yeah, we know this Jesus, right? That's why we came here this morning, right? We didn't just wander into this building. Like, we, we knew you would be talking about Jesus. We know Jesus. I think, though, that we have to constantly return to who the Bible tells us Jesus is because without realizing it, like, we really easily can drift into just a shallow, one-dimensional, a lesser picture of who Jesus is. You know what I mean? Here's what I mean. Um, I'm really good at, like, I don't have to be reminded that Jesus will come one day and judge. I don't have to be reminded about the white horses and the swords. I got it. I think about it all the time, right? That part, I don't need to be reminded about it. I read it, and I'm like, yep. Even when I'm reading scripture, I'm like, yep, that's true. He's coming, and there's going to be just, and I got to get my life right, and I got to get, and I just, like, I don't need to be reminded about that as much. I do, however, need to be reminded that he is the friend of sinners. Even when I read it, here's what I do. I go, yep, friend of sinners, and I just move on. You know, I don't even, I don't even stop. He actually said that, right? In John 15, he's, he's, Jesus is, uh, John records Jesus saying this to his, to his followers. I no longer call you servants. Servants don't even know what the master's doing. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He calls sinners Friends, I don't think about that enough. And so what I end up with is this one-dimensional picture of Jesus, right? Who's just a judge. And so what I end up doing, if I'm left to my own devices and I don't regularly revisit who this Jesus really is, is I keep him at a distance because he's dangerous. And I miss out on the fact that my sin actually hurts someone that I love and that loves me. And I miss out on the blessing and the camaraderie and the friendship of this one who is drawn so near to us. Like I miss out on all, so I have to constantly, if I'm left to my own, I will drift into the like, yep, that's what it says, but none of the comfort of knowing him. Other people drift the other way, right? Or into a whole different thing of like, yeah, Jesus is my friend, just go about my life. Like he also is gonna be judged one day. Like you're gonna have to give an answer. Like you need to, like we kind of, we have to constantly revisit the picture of the depth of this infinite God man, right? That is Jesus. So this is important for us to do, to see what Matthew is trying, this picture that, that Matthew is trying to paint for us. Uh, so here's what it says. We're, gonna, we're at the end of chapter four. Next week, we'll actually be into Jesus' teaching, right? But we're at the end of Matthew's introduction uh, today. Uh, let's start with, so he's just left. He's been tempted in the uh, devil, uh, in the desert by the devil. The devil has left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we're in 412, if you have your Bibles. I hope you do, they're awesome. 412 says this. Uh, now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So he... Jesus hears that John is arrested. So what's going on, uh, if we look at the other gospels, we can kind of figure out that Jesus had this, this ministry. He's doing something similar to what John is. They're baptizing. Because we hear, have another testimony where uh, people come to John and like, hey man, like Jesus is baptizing more people than you, you know? So John ends up getting arrested. 
And Jesus withdraws uh, to Galilee at this time. He uses this as a, as a cue to go to Galilee. So where he's baptized, in the, in the, where, where John was baptizing is down in the wilderness. It's not far from Jerusalem. Like Jerusalem's up on a hill and you would walk down, you know, towards, uh, towards the Jordan River uh, on the east side of, uh, I still have to think about where Texas is to know where east and west are. Texas is west. On the east side of the Jordan, uh, he, he, or, sorry, no, yeah, East of Jerusalem, he goes down to the river, and there's baptizing there, so they're hanging out here, right? And he's from an area called Nazareth. John gets arrested, and Jesus retreats to the north, right? Galilee is the top of the Jordan. Jordan leads up to this, this, this freshwater body called the Sea of Galilee. And he's on the probably most likely the, the north, Texas is that way, west, northwest uh, shore of this in a, in a town called Capernaum. And this is where Jesus spends most of his most of his ministry, as far as we know, we don't know how the time frame, but it's in this area of Galilee. Uh, Galilee. And here, here's here's why. Here's the thing about Galilee. By all records at the time, uh, it's a nowhere place. It's nowhere. Like it's just. Like it's not. It's far away from the center of power. It's far away from the center of people. Take things less seriously the further away you get from the locus. You know what I mean? It, so I, I do some friends that uh, um, worked uh, with um, among uh, among Mormons, and they said basically Salt Lake City's kind of the headquarters. They said the more cl- the closer you are to Salt Lake City, the more serious they are. The further you away is kind of you know south. You know, like the further away you get from the south, the less serious football is. That's why we all live here, right? Like it's just like this is where it's the most serious. The further you get away, the less serious people take it. You know, and so the Jerusalem is the center of power. It is the center of. Uh, of authority, it is the center of scholarship, and Jesus moves to where that's just not true. Like, it's just far away from anything that matters at the time. Then he moves to this area, which is pretty common, by the way. Like, God does this a lot, right? Uh, so that we don't accidentally mistake uh, what he does as human accomplishment, right? It always comes out, it just, so often it comes out of left field. All the way through scriptures, you see Jesus just using the younger son instead of the older son. You see him using the weak. You see him in creating an entire nation out of a fatherless, uh, uh, sorry, out of a, uh, uh, out of a family uh, that, don't, that don't have children. You know, like he does amazing things. They're always out of left field. And he also just, he just seems to operate primarily away from the source of power among the people, um, drawing the weak to him. So he's in this backwoods, grassroots kind of movement place. Uh, and it says this, it says it was um, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are tribes of Israel. Israel's got 12 tribes, right? If you've kind of followed the Old Testament, read the Old Testament. Uh, when God made the nation of Israel, there were 12 sons of Israel and they became the tribes. And uh, these two tribes are the northern tribes. So he's up there in that area. That's where Galilee is. This is where those tribes were settled. And Matthew says why he went there, or explains this. He says, the land of Zebulun, he's quoting this old prophecy by this guy named Isaiah. This old prophet says, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So Matthew is telling us a little bit more about what's going on by, by making reference to this Isaiah prophecy. So this part of the part of Israel, right, this northern part of Israel, when Assyria invades, this is a long time ago, we're talking like 700s BC, right? So 733, I think. So he, when, when they invade, when Assyria invades Israel, they come from the north, right? So the first people that are taken away 
or the people that live up there in, in this area, Galilee, when they conquer, they, they take them away and they, they haul, haul them off. And so Isaiah is prophesying that these people who were taken away first, they're going to be the first to see relief. So it, it, there's one way of looking at that in the sixth century when the occupation had ended and, and Babylon, or sorry, Assyria has, has, has sent them back and they, they go back and they reoccupy the land. The first to go back were the people that lived in this region. So in some sense, I heard one guy say it this way. He said, in some sense, Isaiah's prophecy that they would see light first. They would see relief, right, from captivity. They would see relief from living in a pagan land that doesn't worship God. They would see the light first. That was filled when they were returned in the 6th century, 5th century BC. And the way he said it was this, he goes, but Matthew recognizes that it wasn't fully filled until Jesus comes. I think that's a good way of saying it, right? Matthew's looking back and he's reading this prophecy in Isaiah and he's going, dude, Rome is here. Like, where is it? Like, like this light, did, it, did the light go out again? Like, what's happening? Like, what's, like Rome's back here again. Like, we, there's always gonna be another occupying person, another occupying force. Well, what's going on? And Matthew sees this, this Isaiah thing. goes, you know what? This wasn't just talking about what happened with Assyria, this wasn't just talking about the return from exile, it was actually more deeply talking about this Jesus. He's up there. These people are the first to really get to see Jesus begin his ministry. The light has dawned. Far away Galilee that means nothing to nobody gets to see the dawning of the light first. And Matthew goes, this was talking about Jesus all along. So he's talking about this, and, and, and in telling us that, uh, by making, tying it to Isaiah, he's telling us a little bit about, um, a little bit about uh, what he means. So he says this is the light, right? Um, the light has come from there, right? So uh, Jesus is the light, that's what he's talking about. And, and pointing to Isaiah, he wants us to know a little bit about what this means. Um, Everybody wants to be free from oppressors, right? So it's really easy to read this as, oh, well, so just like Assyria is gone, Rome's going to be gone now, right? Like, that's what he means by the light dawning. But, but uh, that, mistakes, that mistakes the primary, the primary enemy. Um, uh, it turns out to be way too small for what Jesus is going to do. It's not about the Romans. Uh, um, there's always going to be another Rome. There's always going to be another conqueror. Um, but the angel told Joseph he's going to save the people and he's going to save them from their sins. His salvation is not right now from the Roman oppressors. His salvation right now is of the people from their sins. The light that has dawned is... It's doing something far more than driving out foreign invaders. One of the things that the light does, and when Isaiah talks about the light, is that it reveals us. It shines light on who we are. It's a guide for us to how to live. Isaiah 5, Isaiah talks about light all the way through. As a matter of fact, like near the beginning, Isaiah 5, he says this. He says, uh, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Apparently there's a way to live where we think that right is wrong and wrong is right. 
that's what's going on. He says, woe to those people who are trying to think, think that the right way to live, the right way to be, the way to be in the world is to do the wrong thing. There's a way. And so Jesus comes as this light. God's rule is, is revealing who we are and what our hearts are actually like. Um, Jesus is going to, in his teaching and in his life, he's going to reveal to us what our hearts are really like. Have you ever gotten an unta- a, a distasteful look at your own heart? Has your own heart ever surprised you with its darkness? Mine has, many, many times in my life. <laughs> Have you ever said something and then been like, oh my, why did I say that? I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. It, came, like it was in your heart and just kind of, you just didn't, you just, it, it, just, it got out and you didn't want it to get out. That's what happened. But it's somewhere inside of us is this darkness. And he says that this, in some way that what Jesus is going to come and do is, is he's going to reveal the places where we think how to be and what to do, the right way to be, the right thing to do is actually the wrong thing. And Jesus is gonna shine light on that and show us the darkness in our own place, in our own own life. That's what this light is gonna do. It's gonna reveal where we have things backwards and show us the right way. Um, I mean, mean, do you think about how to, I mean, like there's a way that you're thinking about how to be in the world, right? There's a way that we are thinking about how to be in this world. Where did that idea come from? That we all have an idea that came from somewhere about how we're supposed to be in the world. The right thing to do, the right way to live a good life, the right way to live a rich, full life. And, and, and the thing is, is that, well, man, if, according to the Bible, that whatever we come up with on our own, we're going to end up thinking the right thing is the wrong thing, the wrong thing is the right thing. I was thinking about this this week. I've been thinking about this a lot. I read an article recently that said that um, there's a concern right now among some doctors, child psychologists, that we are now seeing the first generation whose parents didn't make as much eye contact with them as previous generations did. Because of the phones. If you're a parent, you tragically know this situation. Mom, 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 dad, 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 dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I gotta, I gotta do this real quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, no, no, yeah, that's fine. Go do what you need. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're worried about the consequences, and I don't know if they're right or wrong. It just made me think about a thing. Because of how much I love my son, what makes me pick up my phone and stare at it when I would die for him? What makes me look at my phone instead? I think that subconsciously I've been convinced that in there somewhere is the light. Right? I think I've been convinced that somewhere in here is if I could just be productive right now, everything will be okay. If I could just, or you know what? If I could just find the next funny thing to entertain me for a second, I wouldn't have to deal with my own thoughts. I think that somehow I've been convinced by what's going on in this constant connectedness to so much information. And I'm not necessarily doing bad things. Sometimes I'm answering a text that somebody needs something from me. Or sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm reading poetry or, or looking at something, or communicating something beautiful. Sometimes, even, even when I'm doing good things, I think that I have been convinced, and I'm not saying this is you, but I've been convinced that somehow in here there is a way that to live right, that everything will be okay if I just get far enough into it, if I find the right app or the right, you know what I mean? If I just handle this right now. 
And what's been sacrificed is eye contact. (laughs) Being present with my son. Why would I do that? Because apparently inside of us, and that's maybe just one example, right, of, of, of a million different ways, that somewhere inside of us, we can easily be tricked about what is light and what is dark. And what is dark and what is light. And one of the things that Matthew is telling us by tying it to Isaiah talking about light, I believe is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to reveal to us what we see light, what we see dark. And our dealings with each other. Think about this. Just in our dealings with each other. What tells us how to be? You know what I'm saying? In marriage, right? What tells me how to be towards my wife? Well, if I'm being honest, there are times in, 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 our, in our years together where what I thought the right way to be was, yeah? If you are not loving me like I deserve to, to be loved, then I'm not gonna love you the way that you should be loved. I'll love you as long as you are doing what I need, I'll do what you need. And as long as that's happening, it's great. The second I don't get from you what I need, I'm done to. Why do I think that? Because my instinct is to return fire for fire. If you do violence to me, I'll do violence to you. If you wound me, I'll wound you. Isn't that our instinct? And Jesus comes and the light shines and he says, that's not the way to be in the world. You're fighting darkness with darkness. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get more darkness. And instead, we're going to learn to fight with light, giving away life. (sighs) Beautiful, deep, rich. It's how to be human. It's how to be fully human. So anyway, so one of the things that light's going to do is going to reveal us. Another thing is, it's going to show us what God is like. Uh, I'm going to, let me quote this, uh, this, uh, this crazy German monk. Uh, he said this, uh, uh, his name is Martin Luther. He said this, don't you think that this is an inexpressible light which enables us to see the heart of God and the depth of the Godhead? And we may also see the thoughts of the devil and what sin is and how to be freed from it and what death is and how to be delivered and what man is and the world and how to conduct oneself in it. Well done, you crazy, well done, you crazy little German monk. That's amazing, yeah. It reveals to us who God is and what he's like. This light, Matthew is saying, is going to show us not just who we are, but who God is. It's gonna show us how the world is. It's gonna show us how things are unbelievable. And it's gonna teach us God's ways and there's gonna be a hope for the hopeless. It's gonna show us how our sins can be forgiven, how we can forgive sins. And there's going to be a light that burns so bright that it extinguishes death itself. Driving out the Romans looks silly compared to that. The forgiveness of sins and the extinguishing of death, this is how we really escape captivity. Is knowing that we live in a world where the light has come and shown us how to be free from sin and from death. That's what he's saying. That's the picture that he's painting. And so what we need to do, we end up trying to light our own lights. As Isaiah says this, Isaiah 50 um, says this. He says, who among, uh, who among you fears the Lord? 
and obeys the voice of his servant. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your own fire, by the torches that you've kindled. This you'll have from my hand. You'll lie down in torment. He's saying this. Hey, listen, if you were lost, if you were wondering, if you feel constantly like nothing's right, if you, what we end up doing is we light our own lights. Right? We light our own torches. We, we try to see that, like, you know what? I figured it out, and we're just wandering around the dark, so I'm like, I figured it out, and our lights aren't light at all. We're just fighting dark with more dark. But we think we figured it out. <laughs> and what Isaiah is saying, and what Matthew's pointing us to is this. If we go to God, uh, he'll show us. If you keep lighting your own light, you're gonna lie down in darkness and wonder why you feel so lost all the time. This light has come, and it's come out of Galilee, and it is amazing. He's telling us that there's a way for you to be fully human in the life that you have by getting new life, but it's not going to look like you expect it to look. (sighs) Followed this good from this, this God man from this backwoods place who was killed by his own people. That's the way. So um, this is what happens next. So he says this. Oh, yeah, where am I? Oh, here we go. The light is dawned. And then 17, uh, 517, 417. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is Matthew's heading, right? This is his heading over Jesus' teaching. Like, this is Jesus' message, right? Like, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's kind of the heading that Matthew gives everything that Jesus is going to say, what he went and what he was going about talking about. Um, Here's the thing. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Um, What is this kingdom going to do? Who is going to be included? And um, how is this kingdom going to come? Also, it says repent, right? Repenting means turning around, right? Conversion, converting, turning from what you're at. Did you notice there's no object? Turn from what? I mean, the, the people that Jesus says this to are all over the map. I mean, John said the same thing, by the way. This is just what John said. Uh, it, they, repent from what? I mean, he says this to prostitutes and tax collectors. He says it to the average people just trying to fish and make a living. And he says it to the religious leaders. He says, turn, 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 turn. They're doing different things. Turn from what? He says, repent. I have, oh, it's just, oh. What does he mean by at hand? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he mean by that? Do I even want to be a part of this kingdom? It's a pretty common theme, uh, people talking about putting conditions on heaven. You know what I'm talking about? I was listening to this song. I, admit, I confess to liking this song. Uh, but the, the song is, it puts conditions. It's like, hey, like, listen. The song says, like, I hear what you're saying about the streets of gold. It sounds awesome. Angels, all that stuff. I want that. Uh, <laughs> um, he's like, but before I sign up, I got a question. Uh, I need to know if I can hunt in heaven or not. Because if I can't hunt in heaven, don't want to go. That's what he says. It's a song. You know, it's good. It's funny. He's like, I just want to load my dog box up and go to hell with all my friends. 
Because in his mind, right, in the song's mind, like the best thing that you can do is go hunting. You know? And we have that, right? Like we have this thing, the best thing on our mind, right? Um, and with all due respect to the theologian Tyler Childers, uh, heaven is going to be so much greater. I think that we need to begin to picture a world where our greatest joy is but a shadow of what is promised. That every pleasure that we have is in some way diluted and changed and altered by sin, and it is just a shadow. That we, have you ever had a meal that made you love Jesus more? Like, I, I have. Like, I've just been there to be eating. How could he just love us as much as to give us this, right? It's unbelievable, right? Like, I just, like, this is a shadow of what he's going to do for us. And everything that we have now, every good thing that we have, and everything that we enjoy, hunting or whatever it is that, you, that, that you're into, man, it's just a shadow of what heaven will be. And so that's what's promised. This kingdom that is coming uh, is unreal. So it's the same thing that John said. John was preaching. He's like, what, did John, what was John preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and so uh, John's baptism was kind of a wake-up call, right? And even he knew that, that Jesus was coming after him and was going to offer so much more. Um, but it's just so hard to picture all that he's talking about. Even John, even John doesn't quite get it. We know this because it's recorded. So Matthew writes it down later. So John, John gets arrested, right? He's the herald. He's the one saying the same thing. He's preaching these things. And he says, right, he gets arrested. Things aren't looking good for him. And John actually says this in Matthew 11. Since he sends uh, disciples to him to ask Jesus a question. And this is what he says. He says, uh, are you the one that is to come or shall we look for another? John looks at what Jesus is doing and it's so backwards and so upside down. It makes no sense to him. He actually sends a message to Jesus and goes, bro, are you sure? Uh, Are you sure? This is the kingdom. It looks so different than we expect. So he calls us to repent and turn from, right? Repent, turn from. Uh, Basically, this is what he calls people to turn from. Whatever it is that's keeping us from God, that's the thing we have to repent from. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, turn from your sin. The average person that's just living as if God doesn't even exist, turn from depending on yourself. The religious leaders that are, that are just following all of the rules and doing all of the things, you need to turn from your pride that you're okay. Whatever it is that we are doing that keeps us from God, the message is turn to dependence on God. It's so upside down. Aren't you taught your whole life to build up a life where you depend on you? Let me tell you right now, I'm, I'm really close to being 100% convinced. Right now, 99. Probably you get all the way to 100. That the Christian life, the longer you live it, the more dependent you become. Because the more you trust Jesus, the more you let go of control, the more you let go of these things. Isn't that so counterintuitive? Aren't I supposed to build up a life where I manage more and more and more and more things? And I live the Christian life, I'm supposed to become more and more dependent. It's so upside down and so backwards. That's what we're called to because we learn to trust him more and more and his power and his strength and his wisdom being so much greater than mine. I mean, how many times am I gonna to have to stick my finger in the electric socket and be shocked before I'm, con- I don't know what I'm doing. How many times am I going to have to screw up before I realize I don't know what I'm doing? So he calls them to repent, and it says it's at hand, turn from what? All things that are, uh, that are keeping us away from God. 
and turn towards him right now. A decision has to be made. All right, then this happens. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to uh, preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, followed him. He's going on from there. He saw two, bro- uh, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this light comes into the world, right, from this unexpected place, and he's wandering around, and he starts calling unexpected people to follow him. (laughs) And he does this in an amazing way. It's this, what is it about Jesus, right, that these people would drop everything? Matthew used the word immediately twice. Immediately left and followed them. They're doing this job, plenty of sea and galley, so they have a pretty stable job, and they left their family, and they left their job, and they immediately followed Jesus. I mean, that's that's not a normal response, right? I mean, a normal response to somebody showing up and saying, hey, follow me, put down your nets, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Normal response to that is, check out this hippie. What, do you start an acapella band? I'm out. It's a normal response. And instead, they drop everything and follow him. Here's what I think. I I think that when Jesus calls you, when he calls you to repent and he calls him to yourself, I think that when he calls you, his very word in calling you gives you the power to turn and to leave and to trust. There's just something about Jesus. Always has been. I mean, it's true today too, right? Why do people abandon following? In foreign countries, all of the time, they tell stories about people who have lost family and friends and be subject and subject to persecution because they saw something so beautiful in Jesus. There's something about Jesus, and there's something in the power of His call. When you hear Him call you, His very words give you the power to turn the ability to turn and follow him. So uh, he begins, uh, this light comes into the world, it reveals all of these things, and then he begins to call people. Uh, he begins to call people into ministry. Follow me, and I'm gonna send you out to make, to make you fishers of men. Um, he calls us to repent and gives us the power, and um, yeah, something about Jesus, and he calls us. Uh, and then this happens. So he's gathering in, in, in movement terms, right? He's out there. He's he's kind of gathering followers that are going to that he's going to take and send out into the world, right? To do the things that he did, right? And it says this in verse twenty three. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is going out, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and people are following and uh, he calls people, and, and, he follow, and then he goes about teaching in all this area. So he's going around Galilee, doing this ministry in the synagogues, and he, so he's teaching, and he's proclaiming the gospel, and then he's healing. Here's what's happening. He's teaching about the gospel, the good news of this kingdom coming. And he's announcing it to people, and he's, and he's explaining to them, opening up the entire scripture and showing them all of the things in it and how they needed to be fulfilled and how they're pointing all the way to him. 
and how he is gonna be the one that brings about the kingdom. He goes about, they go, here's the deal. He goes out and he talks about the kingdom and then he has the audacity to start bringing the kingdom into people's lives. What is the kingdom like? Healing. Caring for the hurt. Caring for the broken. What does the kingdom look like? So since Adam and Eve... We haven't had access to the kind of life we were meant to have. Um, For our own good, we were kept away from that Eden place, right? This place where, this heaven where God reigns and his will is done. And instead, we are in this time and space where heaven is withdrawn and there's a separation between heaven and us and we are trapped by minutes and seconds and up, down, and left, and right. And when Jesus comes, the kingdom at hand means that with his arrival, the kingdom is now among us. It hasn't fully invaded, right? It's gonna happen, but it hasn't fully invaded. Instead, what you see is this tearing of whatever separates the two realms. Yeah, that makes sense? There's where God is, you know, he's everywhere, but like there's a part that we can't access. And that part, when Jesus arrives on earth, is somehow ripped open, and we see what the kingdom life of heaven looks like flowing into the hearts and lives of broken people. Sins forgiven, diseases healed, demonic oppression relieved. That's what the kingdom coming looks like. And you see this. Jesus goes out, not just teaching about it, but bringing it into people's lives. Somehow in Jesus, he is this Eden moment where heaven and earth meet, and he's walking around the earth bringing the actual kingdom into people's lives. And then he's going to tell his disciples, he's going to build this whole thing that's lasted thousands of years by sending us to engage the world, us little imperfect followers of Jesus, talking about this, sharing about this, telling people about what, doing what Matthew is doing, telling people about this Jesus and what he is like and how he has healed us. And what heaven will be like and how that it will one day invade and the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. And that the light will be so bright that death itself is extinguished completely. This is Matthew's introduction to this Jesus and what he's going to do. So now Jesus is going to begin to paint for us a picture of what this kingdom looks like. This one that even John is like, what? It's upside down and it's backwards and we have to pay attention. It's so bizarre and it meets us and the people it meets and how it deals with us is so counterintuitive. I I really do think that that most of my instincts are just flat wrong. (laughs) And Jesus comes and shows us how to be in this world and how to have this life and how to have access to this life by being so united to the one that came and was baptized and was buried and rose again by uniting our lives so closely with him that the Eden moment that we find in him, right, this, this, this heaven and earth being together, that that life right now begins to flow into our lives by faith in Jesus, by being united to him by faith. This is the story that we tell each other week in and week out to remind ourselves what God is like, to remind ourselves of our deep need, to remind ourselves to trust and depend on him, to remind ourselves that we are now sent. We are called and then we are sent to be these lights in our families, in our workplaces, in our 
circles and our friends and, and, and the whole world. And that we do not do this by our strength, but with the power that God has sent us with. In his word, yeah? Mm, forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this beauty, beautiful word. Thank you so much for the beauty of your son who comes and shows us, man, all the things that we're longing for. All the things that we desire, uh, forgiveness, the end of shame, uh, it would desire the banishment of death, all of these things that have held us captive, he has come and shown us how you will deal with those in him. So Father, increase our faith. Give us faith and increase our faith so that we can trust you more. So that we can be confident that when we speak about you from your word, that it transforms not just my life, not just our lives, but the lives of those around us. Give us wisdom to see the beauty of the upside down kingdom where we respond to others. We respond to darkness, not with darkness, but with light. We respond to darkness with love. We respond by serving. This is what you've called us to. This is what you have done. So give us wisdom, give us strength, give us courage to live into the joy and the beauty of the new life that comes into us through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.